adventure alongside our producer michael molinari and we are heading into week three conference play has subtly begun sc stanford it will take a week off and then it'll ramp up for the rest of the year for the most part uh, but we had a fun weekend fellas in eugene saw a big bounce back opportunity absolutely dismantling of an opponent in the ducks utah did the same thing a couple hours earlier in salt lake city we got a couple more teams ranked um so good week overall and we got a big one coming up so with that Ted, Michael, how are we doing? Hey, guys, I got to tell you something. I smiled more Saturday night at uh, what time? It was about 11 o'clock with Molinari and Barky and Sam Polis. I smiled more than I've smiled about college sports all year when Oregon State won that game. And, and I have to say, first of all, I have to say that I had a celebratory beer in honor of Dan Lanning's first win at Oregon. A, when Jonathan Smith went for it and the Beavers won the game, I had a celebratory beer for Jonathan Smith and the Beavers. <laughs> so I had two beers in the state of Oregon Saturday night. Michael was driving, so I want to make sure everybody understands we were all safe and sound. But uh, guys, look, w- w- the usual suspects, and we'll talk about them. We get it. Washington State and Oregon State Saturday is why we love what we do. It's why we love it. These are the two schools that have been left out, euphemism, in all the conversations since June 30th. These are the two schools that you root for. This is why we love what we do. And to watch the reaction of Jake Dickert and his family with all the swear words involved, but they were they were done with affection on the field in Madison. And then to see Jonathan Smith, you know, he and look, Fresno State misses a, an extra point with a minute to go in the game that opened the door for Jonathan Smith to have a choice. He wouldn't have had a choice if Fresno State had made the kick. Given the fact they missed, he had a, he had an option. He still goes for it and they win the game. I'm sorry, guys. That was phenomenal. I I kind of called it a win for the kids' table. That's what I felt like is Washington <laughs> State and Oregon State. They haven't been in the conversation, but they they got dessert first this week. And I thought that was awesome. And Coletto now being Coletto again, he's not running like 50-yard touchdowns. Now he's two yards and and get it in the end zone and that was awesome to see and then I saw later that uh coach Smith said Jack Coletto convinced him to run a different play in that timeout and trusting your guys <laughs> I mean that's why John I think that's maybe why one of the big reasons Jonathan Smith so successful is he trusts his guys and his guys know it and I think that's the, that's the way you got to coach these days Dude, so so many cool things there. Uh, a note that I've been singing since Saturday night was like, you could have as many water slides and collectives as you want, but you still got to play the game. <laughs> so whether that's Texas A&M. Sunbelt. Sunbelt. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you, we saw the upsets happen and we're going to continue to see them. And I love that. How about our, our friend Clay Helton? I feel terrible for our friend Scott Frost and you know anybody getting let go in the business. But for Clay you know, 12 months, like Ted, you called it out in our broadcast, man. Like, uh, you know, I think you did karma, right? Was that the word? Unbelievable. One, I mean, to the exact week, one year to the week. And again, yeah, no one wants to see somebody lose their job. That was likely inevitable, whether it was going to be this week or the end of the year. But the point being for Clay Helton, who is, 
as nice a person as you could ever meet in this in that job, right? At a high level head coaching job. What a what a wonderful. That was another. Was that my third celebratory beer of the night? I can't remember, Michael. <laughs> There's a lot of celebration. Um, how about what Clay said at his presser? As unprompted, just in the middle of talking about his great win, he just said, how about USC? So proud of them. Lincoln is doing a great job. Yeah, That's what he said at his yeah, moment. That's class. That's Clay. That's, that's all you needed to know about Clay. I'll tell so, you, so- the day he got fired, I talked to him on the phone when he was leaving the office. And he... he I've talked to a lot of coaches as you guys have when they get fired and the, the degree of variance is across the board in the history of dialogue with those people. Clay was exactly what you just said in his press conference on the drive home after you just got let go, man, you know, I didn't think I'd get a decade here. What a gift to be able to rep- you know, like that's, I just think it's a great lesson to the point of, as you, as you referenced said in the, in the broadcast karma, you know, recognizing how fortunate you are to have a certain situation. You can be pissed, you can be frustrated, all those things. But it was just like a great lesson for me. Um, I'm sure that'll happen to me at some point in my future too, of like, wow, great gratitude, man. Yeah. If you if you're around long enough, Yogi, you're always gonna have that. I was thankful yeah. for that job. Yeah. That's, it's just it's just gonna happen. All right. So guys, let's start. Washington State. Yes, let's go. They shut out Wisconsin on Wisconsin's home field in the second half and all the conversation about offense, new quarterback, new OC, all coming in, blah, blah, blah. Their defense shuts them out on the field in the second half. Great play. Football education 101. Yogi Roth would have done this how many times at Pitt? Oh, I know where you're going. Like, Kid throws, uh, Cam Ward throws a pick. Receiver who's the intended receiver is out of the play, comes back in, punches the ball out, fumble, recovery, back by Washington State. Lincoln Victor, great job. Key play, and this has made me smile because you guys know how deeply this cuts right into my heart. Opening kickoff of the second half after the Cougars mismanaged the, the end of the first half and the cost him a touchdown. Opening play of the second half, it's like seventy-something yard kick returned by Renard Bell, my seventh-year player of the week. Awesome! <laughs> yeah. And yep. <laughs> it, it was just the the whole the whole way Washington State played. And then, lastly, my last point about the Cougars: they get the ball back after they stop Wisconsin. They get the ball back with five minutes and fourteen seconds to play in the game, and Wisconsin has two timeouts, and the Cougars ran out the clock. Wisconsin never got the ball back. That is how rare that is in college football to see a team that can do that. That was just everything about that second half for for the Cougs was fabulous. Go ahead, Michael. Well, I just have my one. Uh, Nakia Watson? I yeah. couldn't find, Okay, I got it right. It wasn't in the pronunciation guide. I guess it's the normal pronunciation of Nakia. Um, Wisconsin transfer, two touchdowns at Camp Randall. How about that? That's once in a while, there's a good transfer story. And that, that, that's a real nice transfer story, I think. So I hit up our friend, uh, Bill Stevens yesterday. And I was like, how many people played? Because it seemed like a lot of people were on the field in all, all the phases, 56 people played. Mm -hmm. And I say that because the majority of tight games in power five contests, it's right around 44 to 46. When you really look at the numbers. So to play that many guys, it speaks to the rotation on the defensive line, 
the amount of guys on special teams. And to the point on Lincoln Victor, uh, you saw so many of those effort plays in the game. Mm -hmm. So many of those effort plays like Ron Stone, Brennan Jackson, the vets doing it. The transfers doing it, as you referenced the Watson. Freshman doing it. But even Cam Ward, I loved how he, he bounced back, right? Like, there were times in that first half, Ted, you talked about in our – during, uh, you know, pregame last last weekend of, like, hey, he's still, he's still learning how to play at this speed. He made some poor decisions but never flinched, yeah. right? He also made some really impressive ones late in that ballgame when he needed to. I, I was – I was jacked. I mean, even the last play of throwing the ball to the moon, right? Yeah, the yes. awareness. Yeah. You know, I, and I just felt the effort. And I say that about the, the new Wazoo is what they're saying. They, they went down there in front of 80,000. 80,000. Cam Moore, they did a nice graphic in the game. Like, he played in front of, like, 12. And then Martin Stadium is 44 or something like that. And then, eight, like, you just look at that that trajectory. And the word that stood out watching it was effort. It was just, like, everything we loved about, you know, them with Alex Grinch as the D.C. years ago like how fanatical the effort was. Yeah. I saw that like in all phases, man. Like, and then you look at their schedule fellas. They don't leave Martin stadium for a while. Colorado state Pactual networks this weekend. Check it out on sling. If you don't have it already, ducks come to town and then Cal on homecoming. Yeah. They might be undefeated before they go yeah. to the Coliseum to play That's, SC. Maybe we'll get That's, that game too. Yeah. Uh, and then there's Oregon state and, Again, what they did now, there was a little different situation there because Jake Hayner did to the Beavs defense what he what we saw him do in person to UCLA's defense last year. They couldn't stop him. But man, Oregon State out gained chance. Nolan doesn't have a great game going. And suddenly in the fourth quarter, you're starting to make some plays. And they're down nine. This is the single play, and I watched only the second half. This is the single play that impressed me the most. Hayner goes down the field in the middle of the third quarter, and Fresno State's up nine. So now they kick off, and Oregon State hasn't done much on offense. First play, what they call? Deep shot. Yeah. And Chance Nolan throws a dime to Anthony Gould for like 45 or 50, something like that. That play was the one that I said, that took some stones to call that play when you're getting, you're, you're not getting a lot on offense. The quarterback hasn't had a great game and they just dial up deep shot. Boom. So what transpires on the final play of the game in essence is a, to me is a, was rooted in a, in a call like that when you're about ready to get knocked out and that play got him back. They scored a touchdown to get back to within two midway through the third quarter. But that single play was the one that, that shined for me. Two things stood out to me. One. Okay. Uh, the receivers had some drops, if we're going to be real, right? As the game went on, Treshawn Harrison, that play mm -hmm. to take the lead, that was one of the plays of the weekend. And then this is the touchdown with two yeah, minutes to go, you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Before Hayner does his, you know, comeback right. again. Right. That was just, again, an effort play. And what I loved on the sideline with Jonathan, because the camera kept cutting back and forth to him, it felt like, like a quarterback. Right. And by that, I mean, like you felt his confidence, right? Like in, 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 in all of the history of quarterback, I think everybody looks to that guy to be like, yo man, like what's the body language? Like, like we can go throw down. Like, how do you feel about us? Like, do we have a chance? Jonathan's like, kind of like, yeah, let's take a run. Let's take a shot. Let, let's go for it. Like, I just felt like even his, his mannerism was like, yeah, you know, let's go, let's go for it. Like that you hear him say that one time. And that's right before they throw a shot, Ted. And, that to me speaks to a guy who I think the point differential year one was negative 256, getting rolled. 
and now look at what they've done. You know, I don't want to be too like over the top here, but name a name a better rebuild. Stanford conversation, right? If you look at what they had done from Walt Harris to Harbaugh to Shaw, right? That's a that's a good one. Don't uh, make me relive that, please. Right, I, my bad. You know, uh, you you could say like where Chris Peterson, you know, he took it from yes. Sark, who they had zero wins, right? Like there's some impressive ones, but Oregon State was down for a while, and at least over the last decade. This, this it's one that is worth dialogue and for all those ap voters i'm just i'm over you stay stay with that and oregon state 33 right now um their two games are much more impressive than a&m's two games so yeah. that's all i'm gonna yeah. say on that. and i'm gonna jump in for one second on this and then michael will likely you'll pounce on me for I'll this clean but, it up no but, no, but i mean <laughs> look look you have, you have two issues in there, and I, I've seen some commentary about, you know, the fact that Oregon State didn't get enough attention. Well, first of all, the game was on a network that you can't get often. We understand this, okay? We were in this really nice place in Eugene Saturday night, and we could not get them to find either the Oregon State game or the Arizona game. Those two networks are not as readily available, and um, so that's one problem. Second problem is the late night. Well, given the conversation that everybody's had the last couple of months, you can't have it both ways. I've railed on this for five years now. The late night games that we wind up dealing with a lot out here are invisible in the eastern and central parts of the country. They've checked out already. People are getting ready for NFL Sunday. It's just it's just fact. But now the conversation, well, those are the valuable time slots. This is how the schools are going to make their money. And that's my point. People just have to stop railing about it. I will, because you can't have it both ways. If we want the money, apparently the money for the schools, the schools want the money. The money's going to be in part with those Saturday night time slots. So quit complaining about it. Yes, it's a it was a bad, it's a bad hand for Oregon State this week. Hopefully they'll get a chance to make up for it. Although we're going to be there in a week and a half, and it's going to be a night game again when they play USC. Now, I, I we we none of us have anything to do with that decision, but um, it's apparently going to be the reality for this conference going forward. End of comment. <laughs> a lot to unpack there, but I'm gonna we buried the lead. We were we were at the graduate in Eugene, a fine a fine hotel that actually serves food after nine o'clock in Eugene. So <laughs> I recommend Bravo graduate. Yep. <laughs> And with the conversation was, could you please switch from the Pac-12 network that we're looking on at on your TV? Because we would like to see a game that's either on CBS Sports Network or FS1. Uh, we don't have either of those. So that was that was kind of interesting. But we turned, you know what we did, Ted? You went to your phone and it's something called over the top, and you were able to call up the network you wanted to watch. To see the game we wanted to watch. I'm going to give a fascinating concept well, for everybody out there. You might YouTube, want to learn that. YouTube TV. Weeks. YouTube yeah. TV was a savior, which my son-in-law helped develop. So I'm going to give the shout out because it's it was great. And YouTube TV worked for both of those games. But yeah, we ended up watching Jack Coletto's score on my phone <laughs> sitting at the table. Yogi is used to that. Okay. Fossils like me, not so much. Yeah, but if you're fat. If you're fan, which is short for fanatic, you need to yeah. get with the program you and figure it out. It's so all you all USC fans out there, as I might you might have seen on Twitter, for about a, half the cost of a beer at the Collie, you can get Sling TV and you can watch USC Oregon State. Michael jumped on me. Number we 
ladies and gentlemen, you you likely know that yes, a week from Saturday, the 24th USC Oregon State game will be on the Pac-12 network um, at 6:30 at night. And of course, um, the low-hanging fruit of this conversation has been the distribution. Okay. Guess what, folks? This is the 11th year of the distribution. We've lived it. We understand it as well as anybody. Newsroom 101, I learned this when I was working at news radio. Advance the story. So journalists, advance the story. Okay. We understand. Everybody's aware of the distribution situation. So we, thankfully, you just heard from our person who has an advanced degree in television logic 101 from the mighty Q's. Professor Molinari, Professor Molinari, educate everyone. You want to see USC next Saturday. Your personal distributor doesn't carry our network. How do they find it? Sling Sling TV is one way, and it's you you type it in, and within ninety seconds you can get it on your computer. And I just I find it fascinating that people have been watching Netflix for years, and I'm sure everyone's able to find Amazon for their Thursday night football. NFL. So it's the same thing. Get Sling TV, get it on your computer, stream it to your giant screen TV. It's really not at this point, it's really not that hard. And it's about, I don't know, 12 bucks. So, and you might, I think you're going to see more than one USC game this month. I'm not trying to give anything away there. It might be worth, you're going to get a two for one. I have a few. You're going to get, you're going to get two more, this one and one more. We know that's about, that's out there. Everybody knows that. Um, And it's the cost of what? Two coffees it fills this week. That's what you're talking about. Half, there you go. Half an 8.05 at the college. Or um, Yogi. Yogi found a, you, you found, I didn't get a chance to go, but you found a place in Eugene, right? A, a latte. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got my jam there now. I, 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 I got to jump in one, one, yeah. one more thing on the Beavers. Okay. Well, two. They're playing to win and they are resilient. And those are the two things that I think in the time we've been covering them from before Jonathan Smith till now, those are the two things they developed and it leads to W's and it's awesome to see. And he's doing it in Corvallis. That's the last thing I'd say, which is maybe a little bit more remarkable. If you've been there, you wouldn't think so. But once the guys get there, they love it. And I I can't wait to get there in two weeks. And I hope people find us and see the quality of TV that we do. Because if you find us, you're going to be very pleased with what you get. And that's that's Yogi and that's Molinari. And that's where the quality comes from. Well done, guys. All of us, our great team. Amen. All right. So speaking of great teams, uh, USC making a lot of noise as a great team. They beat Stanford. Might be the last time they go to the farm. Play. Let's hope not, but there's a reality around that. When I watched that one back, the guy who stood out to me, offensive made a bunch of plays. It's Makai Blackman, transferred from Colorado. First drive of the game. They do the jump ball we've been so accustomed to. And he plays it like the Cal Bears have played it in years past. He squats, jumps inside, tips it to himself, interception. Just opportunistic as the game went on. He was impressive. Press coverage, being really physical. This was a game. There was so much to it. Um, His name needs to be referenced. And then I think also Alex Grinch. There was a world where I think Stanford, it clearly hurt themselves, right? Two times inside the five two turnovers in the first half. Like it's a different ball game. I think if they score and maybe we got a total track meet in the second half, but Alex Grinch in real time, what you got to see in that game was a defensive coordinator adjusting on the fly. 
because we saw what will commonly be referred to now as the slow mesh, right? right? This is what Wake Forest has done for years. Stanford released their version of it in week two. We did not see it against Colgate and our friends over there. Uh, and it's basically uh, slow, 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 kind of think RPO, zone read, Tanner McKee, hang out of the ball, let your old lineman move downfield a little bit and try to really make it hard on the defense. And they did. Stanford did a lot of positive things in this game. But did we learn one thing? We learned one thing, which is against SC. They don't let you really – they do not give you a lot of oxygen. Like, you better score because they're going to. And they're going to – and you're going to look up and you're going to say, uh, it was 21-7. They fumble. And then all of a sudden, it's 28-7. And then it's 35-14. Like, in a blink of an eye. Yeah. So – Yogi, that's a great point. A couple of things to feed off that. First of all, the, the USC and, and we were in Eugene. So we I just was glancing at screens. And every time I looked at a screen in the first half, USC was scoring. It felt like, looked like they were scoring at will. So that brings me back to what it was like a decade ago with Chip Kelly at Oregon, which of course relates in Michael Molinari's world to arena football where you cannot have an empty possession, right? That's your point. You have an empty possession against USC. This year, you're gonna probably pay a price for that, and that's and that's what Grinch is doing. Eight takeaways in two yeah. games. So not only is it empty possession, but a possession that's taken away by the defense, which gives it to that offense. Caleb Williams, six touchdowns, no interceptions. Right. And, and so then Yogi. So here's the question to follow up on your point. So Stanford introduces something. Clearly, they were they were saving it for this week two. They do this every well. They'll have at least one more year of playing the week two game with USC. So they introduced this slow mesh. They run for 220. Yeah. This team could not run the ball at all last year. Could not run at all. They ran for 220. So one, does that mean Stanford stays with this slow mesh? And two, what do we take away about USC's defense with that? Yeah, I think uh, for Stanford, this is a team that has a bye this week and then they go 10 straight. I think the slow mesh is going to be something that's going to have Washington, which was their next game, they're already on that. Like, how do we figure this thing out? They probably watched and downloaded every Wake Forest game Saturday night, right? As they saw the first couple of plays of that game or some of their analysts did or however they do that. People are going to try to find an answer for it. I think offensively, th this team is really talented. Because we haven't seen Washington yet against like a legit opponent, um, I'd say Stanford offensively, they look like the second best offense in the league in terms of explosive ability, playmakers, all the things that we know them to be, and Ted, to your point, how they move the ball. So I, I think I think they're going to have success there. How you stop the slow mesh, it's it, to me, it's as hard of a thing to stop as we've seen in the last 15 years because they're doing it with tempo. And we, we've seen it with the RPO game forever where linebackers get sucked up a little bit. Is it run, pass? You kind of get in no man's land. Well, in the slow mesh, it's so awkward because it's taking forever. Like, you're kind of like, is he holding onto the ball? What is he doing? So those defensive linemen and the linebacker are just kind of waiting. And that's when Michael Wilson and company can get behind you for big gains. That's when Tanner McKee, more dynamic athlete than people think, can keep it on his own. It's just going to be, to me, for Stanford about, like, they don't have much room for error because they're not elite on defense. So we haven't seen that yet. And – they're not special, special on offense yet. I go to that turnovers, the turnovers they had in this ball game. You can't have those if you want to be considered that. 
So it, I think they're going to be fun to track. I think they're a team that uh, is going to make some noise over the course of their next four games, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, at Notre Dame. Huge stretch for that program. Hey, uh, two teams going to Notre Dame this year, Cal. Yes. Don't talk much about the Bears yet. Cal's going to Notre Dame this week. Raise your hand if you predicted Cal would be 2-0 and and Notre Dame would be 0-2 for that matchup. And uh, so let me ask two, two things. One, about the matchup ahead. Jack Plummer played in that stadium last year. He started for Purdue. So what can oftentimes catch people you know, who haven't played at that level or that kind of an atmosphere, at least the quarterback for Cal will have been there. Red flag to me, though, Cal last Saturday scores twice in the first quarter against UNLV, doesn't score again for three yeah. quarters, no touchdowns. How much is that? Am I overreacting to that? No, I, I don't think so. I'm surprised by that. Um, you know, you, you turn on the fourth quarter and you're like, whoa, 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 when did this thing become a game? Right. So give Marcus Royal credit. You know, he's rebuilding that thing. But this offense needs to be explosive. That's the number one thing they've been touting since the spring when Jack Plummer got there. The receivers, Maven Anderson, J. Michael Sturdivant, um, Jeremiah Hunter, like the, the, they're talented players. They've got tight ends. Like they need to move the ball downfield. This game, does Jay not become the guy? Is the question at running back. Mm-hmm. Right. And if so, I haven't watched enough Notre Dame to really know Ted. The first game was a battle. Like, I don't know what their weaknesses are necessarily. Like, are they giving up a lot of the run? Like, where are they defensively? Um, so I don't know where Cal will attack. But this is, a, even though Notre Dame is 0-2, clearly it's a huge opportunity to get a win like that. I think it might be the first time they've ever played him. I'm sorry? It's, it's the first time Cal's ever played Notre Dame, right? No, no. they no, were. No. It's no. the first time since 1967 that Cal will be at Notre Dame. So given that the fact that I live in the Bay Area, I know only about 50 Cal grads that have planned this trip since the spring. Yeah. So there'll be some Cal people there. But anyway, it's a, it, it, look, the nice part for me for Cal is that you have Justin Wilcox knows what he's doing. His coaching staff knows what they're doing. And you have a first-year coach on the other side that's you know scrambling a little bit right now at Notre Dame. So, and, and that's why I referenced, and at least Justin's taking to the game, a quarterback who's played there. Yeah. I haven't seen Jack Plummer in person yet. So I don't know beyond what I've read in a little bit and seen on tape, but that's a huge advantage. I've just, I've been there before where first time guys go there and you're just same thing. You walk into that stadium, you, you walk into the vibe and your eyes get wide and suddenly ooh, takes me a half to get used to it. Plummer will be used to it. That, has to be a comfort for Cal. So I, I just interviewed him um, on the Pac-12 Networks about going back to the state of Indiana. And so what are you, you going to talk to your teammates about? Because, you know, you, you live the Notre Dame experience, Ted. Michael, you've been there a bunch. I remember playing there. I grew up a huge Notre Dame fan. I was like, I want to be Ron Paulus, go to that place and rock it Ishmael, the whole thing. And what he said was really impressive. He said, I'm going to just continue to talk to the team about, like, you're just playing – the guys you're not playing the history you're not playing the logo you're not playing touchdown jesus like they have to know that because if you think you're playing all those things you got no chance and i think that is a a reason that is a leg up for notre dame in every game that they have against teams that come in i remember feeling that way as well you walk in and you see the grass and you think about rudy and all the plays and all the history and you kind of just get caught up for a minute whoa and boom all of a sudden they could be on you so I, i i'm excited to watch this team, you know, Justin Heat line uh, in training camp. We were up there 
And uh, he was great. We asked him in front of alums, like, hey, what, what are you, you going to tell your team? And he goes, well, I'm going to tell them that they're not playing against like Tony Rice. They're not playing against the Notre Dame greats. They're not <laughs> playing Rocket. Like, and, and I think that is a note you have to continue to hit because it, it's it's a huge stage. Even though Notre Dame's 0-2, it's a huge stage. And, you know, I know Notre Dame fans are bummed they're 0-2. We're bummed they're 0-2 as well because you want a Cal to have a chance to take down a 2-0 team or at worst a 1-1 team. Right. And Stanford and USC this year, three teams in the league. Yes. And uh, yeah, well, Notre Dame, and and I'll just say Notre Dame's own too, but that, that, that's what, that's where our world gets losing at Ohio state. When you're in the fourth quarter in the game, a little different than losing at home to Marshall. So one last note on them, Michael, I got to say, there's a beautiful commonality between Notre Dame and Cal. You go back to August, both schools had the same guest speaker who only went to other, one other school, who was Alabama. So this young this guy went to Alabama, Cal, and Notre Dame. And it was Larry Fitzgerald. Oh. And I talked to him about it. I said, what was it like? And he's a huge fan of Justin Wilcox, like dramatic fan. You, you talk to his players about what it was like to have Larry address the team. I'll send you guys the video. It was amazing to hear him, just his presence and his wisdom that he shared with them. But then I asked him about Notre Dame. And he said, man, Marcus Freeman, this guy, and it's for the Notre Dame fans listening, I think you're in good hands. And he said, he's got principles, much like Justin. He goes, he's he's a principled man. And he goes, if he recruited me, I don't know if I'd ever be able to say no. So take that as a piece of positivity in South Bend from the first ballot Hall of Famer. Well, I love hearing that because as a Notre Dame investor, um, principled, I like that. Yeah. I think we've needed that. I think, uh, I think the sport of college football could use a lot more of that for yes. sure. I And it gives me a good moment to say, once again, Dan Lanning, thank you for your principles. Yes. Because you said yes to wearing a mic during the game, which we played back during the game, which went incredibly successful. And I think it was incredibly successful for him. In fact, just before this pod, I, Oregon sent me a note, can you send us all that stuff? We'd like to use it in our videos. So. Coaches out there. Let let me lift my mug here. I'm not sure. I don't think that's any (laughs) barley or malt in there because it's 8.30 in the morning. But uh, well done. Dan Lanning's mic'd up. Simply the best line I've ever heard from a coach during a game when he talked to Terrence Ferguson. He said, I had you on my fantasy team this week after Ferguson scores two touchdowns. But that was that was cool. That was, that cool. was and we really it added a lot to what ended up being a surprisingly one-sided game. But um, guys, I would just let let's wrap on Oregon here and just say impressively, Bo Nix looked like a guy that played three years in the SEC to me. I mean, he looked that that's the way he looked in his first game at Autzen. And again, can't overreact. Eastern Washington clearly wasn't at the level they've been in recent years. So, but just it was the way we, the way I felt walking out of USC after week one, that was the most professional USC team I had seen looking since Pete Carroll was there. And that's the way I felt about Bo Nix leaving Autzen the other day was that that's a kid that knows what he's doing. I mean, he's played under the bright lights in the big leagues and he just looked totally comfortable doing that. Yeah. Offensively when they have close to 30 first downs, mm-hmm. they move the ball at ease. He did some unique things just with his command, as he said. Like he looked like a guy who owned the owned the moment. He said something else on Friday that has stuck with me since where he said, Against Georgia is the first time we ever even did warm-ups together. 
It's the first time we were calling plays together. Like there was a lot of firsts. Mm-hmm. Now, missing 29 tackles made it ugly, right? And turnovers made it ugly. They weren't necessarily going to win the game, you could argue anyway, but it looked so much worse. And and that's the number. 29 tack- missed tackles in week one, two in week two. Regardless of opponent, we saw guys flocking to the ball. They need to flock to the ball on Saturday night against BYU. Huge test. Big stage before they get into conference play because they're going to get two ranked opponents possibly back-to-back in BYU and Washington State. Yeah. I hate to get this dramatic, but I would say Oregon season rests on this game. If they were to lose on their home field to BYU after the Georgia game, I, I don't think there's a comeback. I mean, they can still play the conference, but in terms of the national perspective on this first year, I, I don't think you come back from that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, real quick. And we're going to get to the humanity moment of the week. Uh, huge weekend. I think for Washington game of the week in the league, uh, they host Michigan state and Mel Tucker. I think it's a program. It's early to say it, but I think it's true. If they get this win, UW fans are on, on the Kalen DeBoer train and they have looked They've looked exactly how they're supposed to look in their first two games, dismantling their first two opponents, lesser talent, lesser teams. Michael Penix is a dude. He's played in the Big Ten. He's played in these games. Welcome Mel Tucker back to the pack. It's going to be sweet. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun. He was an assistant at Alabama in 2015. Haven't heard of him. Mel Tucker. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so big stage there. And then I think just a quick look back, Arizona. And Arizona State, they were they were in those games longer than the score appeared at the end. You go back and watch those games. They, they were good contests. They're, they're going to make a little bit of noise. And then we get to see UCLA, their first uh, – a bigger test than I say their first two. They got a lot of transfers in South Alabama. We kicked it off on Saturday at 11 a.m. Uh, with the Bruins. So it'll be fun to get to the Rose Bowl with you guys. So with that said – right. And then one last thing we have to say, because just to follow through, Colorado had a rough game again. And Carl Durrell talked about – maybe opening up the quarterback competition to the third and fourth guys, the freshman McCown. That's, that's just a tough place to be, obviously. Um, you know, you'd like to think because we're talking about guys that have come in. Michael Penix, by the way, I watched a half of Washington. Wow. Michael Penix, again, he, he and Bo Nix coming in. And of course, Caleb Williams, but I'm saying three transfer quarterbacks have come in, have lifted the quarterback play in the conference this year. I haven't seen Plummer yet. And I hope that I feel the same way when I finally get a chance to see him. Um, Colorado has to f- figure something out because that's just, uh, that's just a, a tough situation to be in after week two. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll dive into them next week. They go to Minnesota. Uh, they got to find some positivity in that ball game against a team that runs the rock. So with that said, Michael, um, there was a lot that went on this weekend as we, as we referenced, what is your humanity moment of the week as we head off into week three and, and you get to stay in LA to face the Bruins? Well, I'm going to go back to Eugene and it was the circle of life is what we normally talk about, but it was the, the O of life this week, this weekend in Eugene. It all started at uh, 7.15 AM wheels up for Yogi and I. I think Ted was calling tennis back in New York at the moment as we uh, made a journey up Spencer's Butte, which was where the team went to honor Spencer Webb, who died tragically uh, in July. And uh, I know, Yogi, we took the uh, path up less traveled by. The hikers coming down told us, you can go to the right. That's pretty easy. You can go to the left. We went to the left. Um, <laughs> my heart and my lungs uh, were, uh, and my legs were a little, 
uh, hurting by the time we got to the top, but it was an amazing view, an amazing moment, and really just an opportunity to kind of try to sink in a little bit of how that team endured that loss. And, you know, as we looked at, off the cliff at the view and we saw, we saw Autzen in the background, it was just like, what a way to kick off the week. And then, you know, it continued uh, when we met with coaches and Tosh Lupoy told us, you know what, guys, I missed the first practice in my career on Thursday. And why? Because he celebrated the birth of his son, lawyer, and his wife, Jordan. He shared a picture with us that we were able to include in the show. And I mean, I got to say, Jordan, I've never seen a woman who just gave birth look as beautiful as she did in that photo. And hats off to her for sharing it. And it was it was pretty amazing. Um, it was pretty amazing to share that story and just a great a great story of, you know, the one time the guy missed his practice. Pretty cool. And then Alex Forsyth, who there's a great feature Thursday that uh, Yogi and our uh, our team put together, Pac-12 Network. I won't give the whole story away, but it had some personal meaning for me. Alex lost his dad in a tragic uh, gun accident, a uh, gun violence, actually, um, when Alex was in eighth grade. And I myself lost my father when uh, I was in seventh grade in a plane accident. And I said, I want to go talk to Alex and just tell him, you know, I, I share a lot of what he, what he feels. And it was a moment for me to give him some support. And I met him Friday. And as it turned out, the meeting provided me as much support as I intended to give him. And it was, you know, a, just a great moment for me. And I can't, I encourage everybody to uh, watch that feature when it's out on, uh, on YouTube, I told YouTube this Thursday. And then finally, on another personal note, it was just one of those weekends my friend Chad from Syracuse, 2-0, Syracuse Orange, by the way, was tailgating down in Eugene. His daughter goes to Oregon. So I met, met him before the game. And I brought him a case, a case of beer for post-game for all of us. And I said, Chad, put this on ice. We'll see you after the game. He goes, yeah, it'll be awesome. And about mid-fourth quarter, I get a text. Oh, so tired. I shut it down. I'm, I'm in the hotel already and I text. I was like, where's the beer? It's in my trunk. So the two things I learned from this entire circle or O of life, Eugene, number one, me and my friends are getting old. We don't have it. We don't have what we used to. And number two, as Chad, who now is a, uh, a lawyer for Intel up in Portland, the number two most important thing, never leave your beer with a lawyer. Yeah. Our post-game uh, Yogi, our post-game uh, uh, first half hour was titled Searching for Chad. <laughs> well done, <laughs> Professor Molinari. I feel like Springsteen introducing Roy Bitten when I say that. Professor Molinari. Professor Schmelzley. That's the real professor. Come on. <laughs> no, amen. All right, fellas. Great week. Uh, we'll see you Saturday, 11 a.m. Pac-12 Networks. Yeah. Get it over the top. Yes. Explore that this week and have some fun with yourselves. I'm off to see the Bruins practice. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.